I want to begin this morning with a question. And the question is this. What is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? That's a, maybe an interesting question, an interesting way to start our time out together this morning. But I want to ask the question, what is the Sabbath? And I know there are different ways Christians have answered that question down through the years. There are different ways Christians would answer that question today. There are probably slightly, maybe nuanced, different ways, even within our church family, you would answer that question. Maybe you're not sure what the Sabbath is. Or to some, the Sabbath is simply the seventh day of the week, no more or no less. Maybe if you grew up in a very, very conservative Christian home, the Sabbath was a a day of can't. You can't go to the store, you can't eat out, you can't play with your friends, you can't exercise, you can't get work done. For Seventh-day Adventists, the Sabbath is not merely Saturday, but rather keeping the Sabbath is the dividing line between true followers of God and those who are deceived. For Protestants, on the other hand, at least for some Protestants, the the Sabbath simply means Jesus and is disconnected entirely from any day of the week or any action on our behalf. And so I ask again, what is the Sabbath? If you would, grab your Bible and open with me to Luke chapter 6 this morning. Luke chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to use one of the Bibles under the seat in front of you. We'll be on page 861 if you're using one of those Bibles. We are making our way through the Gospel of Luke together, and here in chapter 6, Jesus is partway through his public ministry. We have already seen Jesus demonstrate his superiority over nature in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We've seen him cast a demon out of a man. We've seen him cleanse a man full of leprosy. He has healed a man who was paralyzed, and he has forgiven a man of his sin. Clearly, Luke wants us to see that Jesus is unlike any other. He is already broken with the custom of the day by eating with notorious tax collectors and sinners. We've seen him announce that he is the fulfillment of that which the Old Covenant looked forward to, that the Old Covenant predicted. And here in chapter 6, Luke is going to continue with this same theme. Luke is arranging the narrative of Jesus' life to show us that Jesus truly is the Son of God. That Jesus truly is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament had looked forward to. You remember Luke's purpose, according to chapter 1 verse 3, is to give us certainty about the things that we have been taught And Luke is going to do that here by showing us how Jesus realigns or reestablishes clarity around what the Sabbath actually is. So follow along, if you would, as I read Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says, On a Sabbath, while he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, 
His disciples plucked and ate some ears of corn, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate bread from the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come, stand here. And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do. Jesus. So it is the Sabbath. It's the seventh day of the week. It's Saturday. Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field. They're likely traveling from one destination to the next, and they're hungry. And so as they walked, Jesus' disciples grabbed some ears of corn, then using their hands, they removed the covering so that they could actually get to the corn and eat the corn as they walked, as they traveled. Now, I should mention that to those of us in 2021, this probably seems a bit like theft, right? Like, we don't just randomly go into people's fields and like, oh, I think I'll help myself. The corn looks really ripe right now. I think I'll grab an ear of corn and take out the outer shell and I'll just help myself right here. We're going to have a picnic lunch. We don't, you know, load up the suburban. Come on, kids, we're going to go to the field and we're going to eat our fill of produce. No. But in biblical times, this was actually common. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 23 says, if you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. And if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So God's law allowed travelers to eat the grain from nearby fields, but they just couldn't stuff their pockets. They couldn't bring their backpack along and cram it full. They couldn't bring their their suitcase and fill it full of food so that they would have sustenance for the next week. They were allowed just enough to nourish themselves in the moment. Further, God's law in Leviticus chapter 19 required that farmers not harvest the edges of their fields so that there would be standing grain left so that the poor and travelers as well as foreigners from other lands could come and could eat of that grain and have sustenance. But the problem arises when the Pharisees notice what was happening among Jesus and his disciples. Now, I think it's really interesting that Jesus and his disciples are traveling through this grain field and 
the Pharisees are there. And we're not sure why they're there. Maybe they're there seeking to trap Jesus. But somehow, ironically, the Pharisees happen to be in the midst of this field as Jesus and his companions are traveling through. But needless to say, regardless of why they're there, they are not happy with Jesus. Look at verse 2. Some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? You might be thinking, well, wait a minute. You just said that as travelers traveled through, they could actually eat grain from someone else's field. Why is this now unlawful, according to the Pharisees? Well, in the eyes of the Pharisees, this was unlawful because Jesus' disciples were peeling the shell away from the corn to access the, actually the, the kernels of the corn themselves. And in the minds of the Pharisees, this constituted work. And because it was the Sabbath and you were not supposed to work, this was unlawful to do. It was forbidden. The Old Testament law did not forbid people from preparing food for themselves. What the law forbade was actually working on the Sabbath. God has told his people in Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So work was forbidden on the Sabbath. But what it is work? I mean, that seems like a very broad, vague category, doesn't it? I mean, in our home, rearranging furniture and hanging things on the wall and painting and all those kinds of things is not work to Tara. But it's work to me. And in the same way, to my bride, washing the car is work. And to me, it's actually fairly relaxing somehow. And you can probably think of examples in your own life of things that you would define, categorize as work and other things you would categorize as pleasure, and yet someone else you know, maybe someone else even within your own household, would recategorize those very same things. And so how can we define work? How do we know when something is work and something isn't work? And people in Old Testament times had to do some measure of manual activity simply to be able to eat on the Sabbath. This is they're not going to be running through Panera drive through on the Sabbath. So you can see how people would be confused about what was allowed and what was forbidden on the Sabbath. And thankfully, the, the Old Testament does give a bit more clarity about what things were off limits on the Sabbath. For example, in Exodus chapter 34, God reminded the people, six days you shall work, on the seventh you shall rest, in plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. Okay, so plowing and harvest time, plowing and harvesting are off limits on the Sabbath day. And this is what caused the Pharisees to take exception to Jesus' disciples. They saw Jesus' disciples rubbing the grain in their hands, taking the outer covering off the corn, and by definition, by their definition, this rubbing action, this, this action constituted harvesting, and harvesting was forbidden. 
Just by way of background, it might be helpful to note here that by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, by Jesus' day, the Pharisees had created thousands of laws in addition to the Old Testament law of Moses. I mean, they had laws that regulated almost every part of life. For example, they even had laws about how many paces you could take on the Sabbath day, and you had to keep track how far you could go, because if you walked one pace further, one step further, that was then considered work. The vast majority of the laws of the Pharisees were about what you could do on the Sabbath, or excuse me, weren't about what you could do on the Sabbath, they were about what you could not do. They had elaborate laws about you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Now, in the Old Covenant, God clearly had negative commands, don't do this, but the Pharisees weren't satisfied with that. I mean, the Pharisees went big league with adding their own prohibitions to the point that life was a burden for anyone who tried to follow their law. The Pharisees continued to add burden after burden after burden. Now, before we look at Jesus' response here, I also think it's important to note that this desire that the Pharisees had, that the Sabbath was kept holy, that desire was not a bad desire. The Sabbath was given by God so that Israel would be set apart from other people. It made them distinct. Every other religion in the world advocated a philosophy where you had to continually do more and more and more to appease your God. But the God of Israel was different. He actually mandated that his people take time out each week to rest. Rest is a reminder that we are not God. Rest is a reminder that we do not sustain ourselves. God sustains us. Rest is a reminder that God created human beings, not human doings. And we exist to be, not to do. And all of this is the novel design of Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so these Pharisees rightly wanted to see the Sabbath honored. But there was something else here as well for the Pharisees. There was a shared assumption among the Pharisees that not only those who failed to honor the Sabbath kind of grieved themselves, brought punishment upon themselves, but the Pharisees also believed that those who failed to honor the Sabbath brought punishment and condemnation upon the entire nation of people. It was because of Sabbath infractions, the Pharisees taught, that the Jews were under Roman oppression. And they taught that the only way God would ever save them from this oppression, the only way God would ever send his Messiah, was once the Jews were finally obedient enough in keeping the Sabbath. So for a Jew to break the Sabbath meant, in their minds, a further delay of God finally, ultimately sending deliverance. So you can see how instead of the Sabbath being a gift from the Creator God, the Sabbath became a burden. Another work that the people did to make themselves righteous before God, to make themselves holy enough for the Messiah to save them. If we could just be holy enough, if we could just be righteous enough, then salvation will come. Then God will provide deliverance. 
Now, how does Jesus respond to this? Look at verse 3. And Jesus answered, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus responds to this accusation by the Pharisees, not by arguing with them about the definition of work, but by going back to the bigger picture of what the Sabbath was all about to begin with. He does so by giving an example from the life of David. I think it's, just as a quick aside, I think it's interesting that Jesus believed in the historical reliability of the Old Testament. In our day and time, when it's somewhat kind of in vogue among Christians in the Western Hemisphere to unhitch the Old Testament from the New, the unhitch the Old Testament from the Gospel, Jesus clearly believed in the historical reliability of the Old Testament. And he argues his point by referring back to something that happened in 1 Samuel chapter 21. So in 1 Samuel chapter 21, King David is on the run, and his men are with him, and they are fleeing from King Saul. David has not yet been made king. He's not yet taken the throne. But King Saul is looking to kill David. So David and his men, as as they run from King Saul, come to the house of God, which is a place of worship. And the only food available to them in their famished state was the bread of the presence. This was special bread which was for only the priests to eat. The priests alone were allowed to eat it. But what does David do? He takes the bread and he eats the bread and he gives it to those with him and they eat the bread. He breaks the law. So here's the question. Why in the world does Jesus point to David's law-breaking as support for his disciples harvesting this corn and eating it. And I think Mark's account helps us here. Mark includes Jesus' words, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Friends, the Sabbath was about the flourishing of God's people as they rested and reflected and were restored. The Sabbath was a time to stop and to consider all the good that Yahweh had done to create and to sustain them. And that purpose is thwarted if you can't eat. It's thwarted if you can't take in nourishment. It's thwarted if it's, the Sabbath is limited in such a way that it simply becomes another work where, whereby you can somehow become righteous so that God will provide deliverance. That's the polar opposite of what the Sabbath was about. The Sabbath was God's good gift to bless his people, not a straitjacket to hinder them. But there's something else here, too. It's not an accident that Jesus chooses David. After all, David was the foreshadowing of Jesus. It was said in the Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah to come would be the new David. He would sit on David's throne. He would succeed where David failed. And so along comes Jesus of the house and the line of David. Jesus comes along to establish a kingdom like David's, but better and eternal. 
In fact, in Matthew twenty two fifty nine, Jesus clearly establishes that he indeed is the one predicted from the house and line of David. And so to these Pharisees, Jesus was saying, if David took the food that was considered ceremonially off limits, how much more now that the better David has come? How much more can my disciples take of this grain and eat of it, even though it goes against your Pharisaical rules? The point here is that Jesus has the authority to realign the Sabbath back to what it was supposed to be. Jesus has the authority to cleanse the Sabbath, so to speak. It's Jesus, not the Pharisees, that have the authority to dictate how the Sabbath should be observed. The Son of Man has authority even over the Sabbath. That's an interesting statement Jesus makes there in verse 5. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, think about who instituted the Sabbath in the first place. It didn't start with Moses on Mount Sinai. It didn't start with Abraham. It didn't start with Noah. It's a law that God established at creation. In fact, in the world of biblical theology, the Sabbath is called a creation ordinance. It was a part of God's law built into creation itself. The Sabbath law is is a creation mandate from God. And so when Jesus tells the Pharisees that he is doing this, that they might know that he is Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus himself is claiming nothing less than the authority of the creator of the heaven and the earth. Jesus is revealing that he is God. And then, I think to reinforce this, Luke gives us the account in verses 6 through 11. Again, another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come, stand here. And he rose and he stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. If verses 6 through 11 sound familiar, it's because they are. It's very similar to verses 1 through 6. Again, the Pharisees are looking for a reason to accuse Jesus as he teaches. Again, it's on the Sabbath. Again, the Pharisees had established elaborate laws about doing bodily good on the Sabbath. So, for example, you could save someone's life, you could do bodily good to someone if their life was in danger, if it looked like they would not survive until the day after the Sabbath, you could go ahead and do work, according to the Pharisees. However, if it looked like there was a chance someone may survive, no matter how injured or how hurt they were, until the next day, the day after the Sabbath, then you were forbidden, according to the law of the Pharisees, to actually do good. And in this case, a shriveled hand does not appear to be life-threatening. At least to the Pharisees. Look at Jesus' response. He knows their thoughts. 
in verse 8. So he says to the man with the withered hand, come, stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus asks them this question. I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? The question has an obvious answer, at least to us today. Of course, it's lawful to do someone good on the Sabbath to save a life. But the Pharisees had so twisted and so corrupted the Sabbath that they weren't doing good. They had redefined the Sabbath in the way that they wanted it defined in such a way that they were actually harming the people that they led. They were actually destroying life, not saving it. They had gotten off track, they'd gone astray, they needed rescuing, and the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who had the authority to determine the Sabbath itself, had come. And he had come, not because the people were faithful to keep the Sabbath on their own. He had come precisely because they hadn't kept the Sabbath on their own. The people were working to purify themselves by all of these extreme adherences to the Sabbath, thinking that this would make them worthy of the Messiah. If we can just get pure enough, if we can just be faithful enough to the Sabbath, then God will send his Messiah. But friends, Jesus came precisely because they weren't worthy. They couldn't keep the Sabbath perfectly. What they needed was what the Sabbath ultimately pointed towards. They needed the true rest of the Sabbath that's found only in the Messiah, the Lord of the Sabbath. Don't forget, it was Jesus who said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus came to earth to be the true Sabbath rest. Jesus came to earth to be the rest that the Sabbath always pointed towards. Even today, true rest is not found laying on a couch or relaxing by a pool or a vacation in the Caribbean. True rest is found in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to set these religious leaders free from this works-based, self-created form of religion. And what he did was to reorient their understanding. The rest that God was providing was for their good, just like in the Garden of Eden. The Sabbath rest of God was meant to be a blessing. The Sabbath day, the Sabbath rest was to remind God's people that we as his people are to trust in him. We are to rest and to reflect on his sustaining power and grace in our lives. And nowhere is God's power and sustaining grace more evident than in the life of Jesus. Jesus came to accomplish what we could not accomplish ourselves. We could not be pure enough. We could not follow the law closely enough. And so Jesus came to set us free. He came to give us rest from our frenetic self-improvement and our never-ending pressure to be good enough. 
good enough for salvation, good enough for God's grace, good enough to rest. I mean, you might be the kind of person who can't rest until the job is done, but what the Sabbath reminds us is that the work will never be done if we don't stop and rest in the completed work of Jesus for us. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He gives us rest even though we in and of ourselves don't deserve it. And that's grace. We are chosen and adopted and justified and will be glorified through no work of our own, but only through the finished work of Jesus. Which means we can rest can rest friends the work of securing our eternal salvation has been accomplished this does not mean that we are apathetic about obedience doesn't mean we're apathetic about honoring christ with all of our lives but it means that we can climb off the hamster wheel of self-justification before god and we can rest knowing that even though god knows all of our faults christ has purchased us And that all those who trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross in our place for our sin have received an eternal rest, an eternal security in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's freedom. That's what true rest is. And sadly, in our text, the Pharisees were unable to rejoice with this man who had been healed. Verse 11, they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. R.C. Sproul writes, their jealousy was so intense that they missed the presence of God. They missed the tenderness of Christ reaching out to heal a man. They missed the courage of Jesus who risked his own reputation and his own physical well-being in front of the fury of his contemporaries in order to bring wholeness to a broken individual. They missed the whole point. They were trying to guard the Sabbath when Jesus was demonstrating the Sabbath right in front of them. Here is a man who does not deserve on his own a gift of wholeness, and I am going to make him whole and heal him anyway through no work of his own doing. That is Sabbath rest. If you remember back to Luke chapter 2, our friend Simeon, remember the Lord promised him that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Christ. 700 years earlier, Isaiah had predicted that all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. But all the scribes and the Pharisees cared to see was whether Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. They are only interested in charging him with being a Sabbath breaker, looking for the hole, looking for the weak spot in his armor. As one commentator remarked, in their zeal to protect the law, they do not use it to set the captives free, but they bind the captives even tighter. They have no power to heal, only deal out death. So, let me close with some practical application to our text this morning. First, 
rest in Jesus Christ is the highest purpose of the Sabbath. Rest in Jesus Christ is the highest purpose of the Sabbath. So for Christians, the Sabbath isn't primarily about a day to watch more TV or to sleep in. It's primarily a day to reflect on the unmerited gift of salvation. It's a day to remember that Jesus' work was sufficient to accomplish what your work never could. So if you have Jesus, the Sabbath means everything. If you don't have Jesus, the Sabbath means nothing. Now, you might think, well, if the Sabbath is ultimately then about Jesus, and Jesus is the, the fulfillment of which the Sabbath pointed towards, then is it even important to set aside a day as a day of rest, a day of Sabbath, a day to reflect on God? I think it is, which leads us to the second application point. Setting aside a day or a time to gratefully reflect on our rest in Christ is important. Just because Jesus is the highest purpose of the Sabbath doesn't mean we throw out the God-given design rhythm of work and rest, work and rest, work and rest. It just means that we understand more deeply what this rest is all about. It's not primarily about physical rest, although that's important. God knows we need it. But it's about resting in the God of our salvation. And so... Christians have debated and disputed, should it be a certain day, should it be any day, should it be a day you choose? I had a good conversation between services with a, an individual who was asking some questions about that. I think from Romans chapter 14 verse 5, Paul makes it, seems to make it clear that the specific day of the week is not as important as actually having a designated time to stop doing and just be, to just be a child of God, to rest in God's creating and saving work, to marvel at how insignificant our efforts actually are and how gracious and loving God actually is, to reflect that God on the grace of God that he would actually choose to save you and save me and save any of us. And I think it makes sense that that day is, is, is a time when we gather together as a church family, which is why many Christians have a day of rest on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the day Jesus was raised from the dead, the day when the early church went from uh, gathering its believers in the Lord together on Saturday to gathering together on Sunday from the early church on, honoring and recognizing the significance that now Jesus has been raised from the dead, everything changes. Our hope is secure in Jesus Christ. So I think it generally makes sense most of the time to set aside a day of rest and to do so on the day when you're already gathering with the people of God to reflect on God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to spend the day thinking about the Lord. But it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be that way. Some of you have to work on Friday. Some of you have obligations on Friday. In our own home, we generally take a day of rest on Friday because Oddly enough, Sunday is a fairly exhausting day for me. And so we set aside a day for more family worship and more time in the Word and more rest and getting together with brothers and sisters in Christ and reflecting on the goodness of God through the grace and gospel of Jesus Christ. 
This leads to one last point of application. If you're thinking, okay, the, the, the priority and the focus of Sabbath is ultimately about the gospel of Jesus Christ and his finished work for us, which gives us rest. And if it's good to set aside a day, and that day generally should be when we're gathering with other believers and other Christians in the Lord Jesus Christ, then how do I know what I can do and what I can't do? Some of you, like, that's not even a question you thought of at all because you're just maybe wired in a different way. Others of us, we are, we are rule followers, and so we want to know exactly what can I do and what can't I do on the Sabbath. And rather than thinking about what I can do and what I can't do, I think a better question is this, and this is the third point. Aim your Sabbath at answering this question. How, this is the question, how can I best enjoy God and enjoy the good gifts he's given on this day? How can I best enjoy God and enjoy the good gifts that he has given? If there's something that helps you to celebrate God or to rest in him or to enjoy the good gifts he's given, go after it. Spend extended time in the word. Gather together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Raise your voice in worship. Pray together. Encourage one another. Practice hospitality in your home. Take a nap. Rest physically that you might be more alert spiritually. Think, how can I pattern this time to make it clear that my worth and my status with God are not based on what I accomplish, but on what Christ has accomplished for me? Think, how can I simply delight in being a child of God, and how can I lead others in my home to delight in being a child of God as well? And that's really what the Sabbath is all about. That's why it's was given, and that's what Jesus came to set us free to truly celebrate. Would you stand with me? Let's pray.